sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your sister and friend, Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. Last week, I left you on the craziest cliffhanger, as I usually do. And I kind of want to apologize for that, but I don't. Because why? I am actively trying to make your life far more exciting. And it's not every day about a normal heart rate. Sometimes you need a little elevated heart, a little bit of blood pressure, you know, to keep life a little bit more exciting. But before I tell you about what transpired, because I know you guys been waiting, I got to tell you the full story. So the last time we left off was when you had finally crossed the schedule so dramatically. <laughs> this really beautiful representation of just like, yeah, you always going to hear about me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's about it. You go, this is my last, you know, moment. You crossed the schedule out and you essentially walked out you were done it almost felt like I had tons of bricks off my shoulder like the moment that you finally realize your your dad's like coming to life in a sense mm -hmm. it's like alhamdulillah and I didn't want to get my hopes up a little too much because what I learned about life is once you're like done with one um, test that doesn't mean the test ends. It just means we're on to the next one. I remember starting the job and my parents were even excited. They're like, Alhamdulillah, 
inshallah we don't hear anything <laughs> you know, you know like um regarding this job so um i entered the job it was alhamdulillah like a, a breeze like i was shocked the mm-hmm. first day i came in i seen so many diverse faces i was kind of shocked like not just only in the respiratory department but in every department the nursing the pt the ot the you name it it was another diverse muslim girl uh face and i was like i was like very happy to see that like alhamdulillah you know so i was like alhamdulillah i know i've made it to the promised land yeah thank god <laughs> the ebbs and flows the highs and lows are guaranteed in this life we're going to be tested in this life and there's a reason for it as allah says in the quran in surah al-ankabut verse three to four Do people think once they say, we believe, that they will be left without being put to the test? We certainly tested those before them, and in this way, Allah will clearly distinguish between those who are truthful and those who are liars. The beautiful part about tests, as Lima once said back in her episode when the cat lady found true love, hardships are like portals of beautiful discovery. In Yasmin's case, one of the most beautiful discoveries through it all was Urji. She's like the the mama of the group. Like she notices the the one person that's like kind of by themselves, and she always tends to like make sure they're good in a sense. I was uh, an introvert. I was in that moment of kind of like I was super shy, super like not wanting to step into who I was in a sense of like breaking through of like speaking my opinions and stuff. She would stand there and she'd be like, you better, you better say what's on your chest. Yeah. <laughs> and then she would stand there, I remember, and she's just like, she's looking at me like, we're not leaving this room. The <laughs> Until you say it. So um, I remember we'd be in clinicals and um, if anything bothered me, they knew. There was this almost like this motto of if Uriji's in the room, nobody messes with Yasmin. Like oh, <laughs> she was oh. like the protector. So she was super like she was taking care of me, mashallah. Mm-hmm. I mean. And I remember um like when that hospital, like we were trying our best to fight it. We went all the way to getting legal action. It was crazy because it's also like you're kind of putting your career on the line. Um, because they kind of like frighten you in a sense of Oh, if you do something like this, like you have a bad rep, like no hospital is ever gonna. Were you take not? You in. When you guys not scared doing this legal action like it? Like when you guys not, like yo, like this is this because legal. Yeah. It's not like legal action against that hospital is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yes, but so what gave is, you guys the confidence? It was like almost a sense of we felt guilty of leaving, um, and not doing anything about it, um, because we are in a sense like, oh, I'm good. I moved on. I, I don't need to deal with this, but the next sister has to deal with this. And it's like, if we as healthcare workers are dealing with this, imagine the patients, you know? Mm. So it's like, you're kind of, we got into the healthcare world saying we're helping people, but where are we helping people for doing that, you know? So, um, so we kind of felt like it was a responsibility of ours. And at the end of the day, everything is in Eli's hands. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. If it's the route, Eli will pave this route or Eli would give us a different route, which um, it didn't work out for us. Um, we just didn't know the system of the legal routes to take. And the company that we reached out to was, in a sense, kind of telling us to almost like kumbaya, like, oh, they'll send a letter and they can apologize for their actions. And I'm like, at this point, 
is has been passed apology mm. we need act we need actual sustainable protocols and action to be taken and we're not just here to just sue in a sense of like like when people think about that it's like you're getting cash and you're running that's not what we want we want actual protocols to be placed so no one else has to deal with this ever again you know what i mean you really you want structural change yeah you want systemic change that's what you want yeah you guys are looking for the big fruit not the little fruit Yes, and they're, they're telling us it's pretty hard. This is this is a big company you're coming against. I think we got to the point of understanding there's no actual structural change that we can do inside the system. We have to come out from outside the system. Uri and Yasmin were basically planning to save the world like actual comic book heroes. I mean, how else can you see it? These women were plotting and plotting and bringing essentially this racist institution to its knees once and for all. And they knew they had to do it from the outside the hospital through business. Truth is, nothing shakes things up better than an LLC. The only problem is, what does two RTs know about business? This is like 2019. We had no idea what to do. Um, and I remember we're we're like, you know what, oh, we'll just start with um, patient advocacy because that way we're kind of helping the healthcare workers have a stance and a presence in the healthcare world, and we're helping the patients as well. So um, we're Googling, searching, and there's actual classes that you can take for it. So we're th finally thinking like we're going to slowly get into the business venture and learn about healthcare advocacy, and, um, and then COVID hits. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> COVID. On March 11, 2020, the World Health Organization declared that COVID-19 was a global pandemic. At that point, there was 118,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus in 110 countries. By October 10, 2020, more than 7.7 .7 million people across every state in the United States tested positive for COVID-19. The healthcare system was quite literally crashing. There weren't enough nurses. People were getting sick and sick. There were no cures. Everything was just so uncertain and unknown for everyone. Not only was the world being exposed to one of the deadliest viruses, but at the same time, the world was also being exposed to the longest standing, deadliest threat to mankind. A threat that has killed more people than we can count for centuries. Structural racism. And for those who don't know what structural racism is, let me tell you. Structural racism refers to the totality of ways in which societies advance racial discrimination through systems like housing, education, employment, media, criminal justice, and the healthcare. It was clear COVID-19 disproportionately affected communities of color, resulting in a death rate that was at least double that of white and Asian Americans. The worst part of it all, nobody was providing adequate information. That was really because of the fact that healthcare workers were overworked, understaffed, and inaccessible. People felt like their families were being admitted into hospitals and never seeing them come out alive. And this consequently made patients more anxious and distrusting of healthcare workers. And for the patients who didn't speak English, they had the most trouble because they started to refuse vital treatment because of it. Yasmin herself had witnessed a woman pull her oxygen mask off because she genuinely believed that the healthcare staff were trying 
to kill her. She had COVID. She was on a thing called a high flow, which is it just gives you an extra oxygen flow through your nose. So she would take her high flow off. And there's no interpreters in the room because of COVID. And I mean, they have the like the tablets and stuff and they can connect to an interpreter. That takes time. You need someone in the room actually being able to communicate with the patient to put it on. The nurses are having issues with communicating with the patients because patients are not understanding. There's a language barrier there. So I remember a specific um, I would tell the nurses like, hey, if I'm here, call me if you need anything. If you need to interpret anything, if you need to reassure her to put it back on, contact my number. If I'm not here, contact the respiratory department. There's another Somali healthcare worker there, you know. And I remember I was taking care of her and I was making sure she doesn't get intubated, which is when you have the tube placed in you and you're on the life support machine. I was trying to make sure she recovers in a sense of not being placed on that, you know. Because what does that mean when they get intubated? What is that? When they get intubated, that means they deteriorated in their lung pretty bad. And um, and that the ventilator, it helps you, but it also can cause lung trauma and stuff like that. So especially with COVID, it was very new. Everybody was learning how to treat patients with a ventilator and what modes to use. So, So I was extra cautious on as much as we can stay away from it, let's stay away from it. Yeah, because I yeah. remember like during that time, anytime a family would go on a ventilator, there was a really high chance they'd pass away. Yes. Yeah. Like that was the end. Like that that was the statistic. Like yeah. if somebody went on a ventilator, it was really bad news. Yes. So here you are trying to avoid that yeah. for this auntie, yeah. Somali auntie that you see who doesn't speak English, obviously. Yeah. I remember I was clocking out and she was doing well the whole night, alhamdulillah. I remember I gave a report to my coworker and I was clocking out and I heard code blue which was like like the patient has needs to be resuscitated mm-hmm. and then when i heard the room number all i saw myself was i started running mind you i was supposed to be oh clocked out i was like oh how about he had probably took it off they couldn't put it back on her because she's super anxious and she probably deteriorated really bad so i ran and by the time i ran um i entered the room with no mask on Oh, my God. And I was trying to help her out, because I could see her fighting the nurses. Oh, my God. I was like, Hauriyad, please um, put it back on. Like, I was trying to help her out, and she goes, no, Hauriyad, they want me to pass. They don't feed me, Hauriyad. I don't talk oh to my, my family. And it's like you're trying to hold back your tears, and you're like, Hauriyad, no. So a lot of my patients, what I would do for them is to calm them down is I would put Quran on for them. So I told one of the nurses, I was like, hey, can you go on YouTube, can you search up this reciter and this um, Quran, like, I spelled it out for her, I was like, can you, can you put it on, and I would help her um, with the high flow, and yeah. I was like, how about it, I'll put Quran on for you, um, uh, please calm down, like, your family wants to help you, she's like, no, I don't eat, I don't know what they're doing, are they killing me, because she doesn't understand what's happening, so she's just assuming they're killing me, you know what I mean? And she doesn't see herself progressing or anything happening. So she's like, Hawariya, just let me pass, just let me pass. And I'm like, and it was like super um uh It's okay, yes me, I'm crying too. <laughs> it's just hard so, to even imagine, yeah. you know, that kind of fear, you know, that they had to deal with. Yeah. And, and feeling like people are harming you and you don't have your family and 
um and re- and feeling at mercy bro yes. by people yeah. you know it's a, it's a and it's even harder to look at you yes. know them in complete distress and and, and, and like mm-hmm. panicking like it's yeah. really i can't imagine like that kind of fear i, and I and can understand her as well because the way that we treat ourselves health-wise in our community is a lot different than um in healthcare. So in healthcare, if you're on such high settings like that, you are on NPO, which is nothing by mouth, you know, you're not um, eating. So mm-hmm. mainly because if you had to get intubated, they don't want you to throw up and then mm-hmm. aspirate all of that into your lungs. You know, there's a reasoning to it. But at the same time, in our culture, it's like, um, if you don't eat, you're dying, in a sense, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it's like, she's thinking they're not feeding me, they want to kill me, you know? Yeah. And I would have to tell the nurses, oh, just try to give her something small, like applesauce maybe, or like water, because this is exactly how they translate you not feeding them. Like, it means yeah. like you don't want to care for them at all. So I put the mask on for her. I had one of my other coworkers bring another machine that's a higher... Um, pressure and higher oxygenation so we can put it on her and then I had to calm her down I had to ask them to give her anxiety meds just to help like ease your anxiety because COVID Mm -hmm. like ups your anxiety you know once they did that she calmed down her oxygen saturations like her oxygen rate came back up alhamdulillah she was a lot better so and then I remember I went to another co-workers and I was like hey you're working at Daisha please 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 keep an eye on how it like, I do not want her to get yeah. intubated. Please keep an eye on her. I will be back today at 6. I'll just be just a couple of hours away, and I'll be back. Just keep an eye on her. And I, and I remember um, I was super, like, um, nervous going home. Like, I, she was just on my mind constantly. So I remember I went to bed. Usually before I go home after working, I take a walk because... If you go straight to bed right after working in healthcare, like you hear the beeping, you you basically dream about the job. Yeah. So I took mm-hmm. a walk, alhamdulillah, I went home. And uh, I remember by the time I came back to work, uh, she was intubated. And I was oh. like super disappointed. I was super disappointed. Oh and she eventually didn't make it. Um, and it was one of like because I can remember her her face I can remember her voice and what she was saying um during that time you know because I would ask them even bring the FaceTime I mean the tablet in let her FaceTime her family so she can just feel like a sense of home like people care about her people are here people are rooting for her you know what I mean because it can get very lonely just sitting in a room you're sick and you're super anxious, you feel helpless, and you're just in four walls, you know what I mean? So it, it takes a lot, like, so my patients, when they're super, they're the, like, the most humbling, hum, very humble people, and they make us smile more than we do it for them, you know? And I'm just like, you're going through all of this, and you're just, like, so pure and so humble, like, mashallah, like, I can't even imagine, like, all my problems become very like minuscule like i have first world problems at this point you know what i mean mm-hmm. but it humbles you that experience very much humbles you and it's good to take it in and take the lessons from it because in healthcare you can get so soaked in where like almost like the patients become a number even though you're not seeking that out to be the case that's what becomes the case especially during covid 
with many people like you're seeing so many deaths and it's like as respiratory therapist um when the patient's passing on the ventilator you have to go in and you have to remove the tube so you actually oh see goodness. the nuffs leaving the body almost like like it is the worst thing like if i can like give it away to someone else i would always tell people like i have to remove the tube can you do it for me i would do your whole assignment i'll let you sit all day I just cannot mm. do this part, like, for the life of me. Because I feel, like, stuck in the room, in a sense. You know what I mean? Because you have to understand, too, religiously, like, the essence of, like, you Where pull the tube. the per mm. You see the person's numbers drop, their heart drop, and mm. they turn gray. And you yeah. s you literally see the nafs le leaving the body. And and you have to understand, like, medical mode is in the room. As how close you are you, to Malcolm Mom. So, so this is giving me chills. You know why yeah. it gives me chills? Yeah. Is because you, I, in, in theory, we understand the angel of death. We understand mm -hmm. Malcolm Mo. We know, we know that in order for a, a body to pass, he has to be there. I'm, I cannot imagine you as who, who knows mm -hmm. standing there knowing he's here. Mm-hmm. And he, he sees you, he like, he's there. Yes. Like, if you dive into it, you're wondering, like, Malakun could be here for you or that patient. You might be thinking it's for that patient. Oh, my God. But oh you never God. know. I'm getting chills. SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. You know what I mean? So it's like you have to have your, you have to give yourself a reality check. Like, the picture shows that he might be here for that patient. You never know if it's you. SubhanAllah. You know what I mean? Have you ever noticed that when you're no longer in, like, survival mode, suddenly you can peep everything? I mean, you can start seeing the cracks on the walls, the creak in the door. That piece starts to really clear the fog. And for Yasmin, the fog more than just cleared things up. She's beginning to see the gaps in the healthcare system in complete 6K. Yeah, you'd be shocked once we started, like, engaging and learning about patient advocacy— there's so many advocates, but then there's no cultural advocates. What does that even mean? How and can I'm you like, see no cultural? Because other um, other patients feel like healthcare is not in their best interest, so they have a patient advocate that they actually privately pay that comes and literally is in the team when making decisions. Wow. So people don't know they have these services. It's actually existent. It's been existent for many years. Why? That's kind of wild to me. There's someone that could be part of your, your team that takes care of you. Yeah. His whole job is to make sure that you get the best services. service. That's yeah. his whole job. That you understand what you're getting and that you're getting the best. Yeah. How come we don't know about it? If this has been existing for years, mm -hmm. why don't we know about it? That's, that's a very good question, to be honest. It kind of emphasizes the healthcare disparities. Like, people just know about, um, like, I'm just flat out say it, like, there's discrimination in the hospital. You know what I'm saying? So, and the only, dis the reason why it's called systemic racism, it's, it's in all systems. You know what I mean? So, um, and the only ones that we see that are prevalent are, um, police br brutality and like when you see things at school or if anyone is discriminatory to us outside of like very like like evident things in our face no one really thinks about healthcare having 
racial discrimination. You know what I mean? So um, even if you just think about how healthcare was taught from back in the days, it's like it was taught and studied on the white body. You know what I mean? So it's like a lot of the medicine and a lot of the therapies are not geared towards people of color, you know, um, especially giving pain medications. Uh, it's like some patients I remember would be like um, super, uh, they, they would get a pain medication um, and they just got a fresh trach, which is that permanent tube in your throat. And they're, they're still like kind of like hollering and crying and like very like I'm in pain you know Mm -hmm. and then they're just like oh they're just very they're just hollering in there I already gave them pain meds they don't need any more and I'm like but how do you know they don't need any more you know what I mean yeah because you know there's this this was also thing about black bodies Mm -hmm. Being able yeah. to take more pain yes. than white bodies, right? So they'll they'll say you don't need a dosage more than this. Mm-hmm. It's this animalistic, bro, perspective, like Healthcare this real, like yeah, <laughs> like this changed. real animal, like they, it's like. It's like, oh my God, it's just, it's barbaric. It's mm-hmm. truly, utterly barbaric, mm-hmm. and it's like. They don't believe your pain. Mm-hmm. They, like, you'll tell them your degree of pain. They don't, like, even when they say, what do you feel, a seven or a five? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They add another na- layer of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's saying seven, she really means four. Mm-hmm. That's true. That yeah. is correct. And so then what ends up happening? The patient is an excruciating amount of pain. Yeah. And they're looking at them like, they'll be okay. Yeah. And then you want to yeah. put our parents in these spaces during COVID and they're alone. Yes. And I was not for that. Those are my first instances of seeing like, okay, um, we have a lot of like healthcare disparities. The hospitals are not knowledgeable on it and the patients are not knowledgeable on their services and what can be miscommunicated. Even though we have interpreters, um, the interpreters, their main job is to um, interpret the words. So it's like yellow is yellow, green is green, you know? So- But they don't have the nuances. Yes. So, and they don't have the background to know all the services that are there because they're here to interpret. They're not here as a nurse. They're not here as a respiratory therapist, not as a doctor. So you're not going to have all that knowledge on what's available for this patient. You know what I mean? Okay. So this is what the problem is. Interpreters might know the language. Yes. But they don't have the deep understanding of the procedures and offerings that the patient can have which means the interpreter's support is extremely limited. They're not patient advocates in that way. And not to be dramatic, because, you know, I love being dramatic, but I'm going to give it to you. It's legit like having Google Translate as your advocate. Google Translate. We don't even like Google Maps. Imagine Google Translate being your patient advocate. Like, what? Is this real life? I was like, you know what? I'll be the bridge. I'll be the one kind of contacting the the doctors i just need one family member that's going to be a representative for the family that's going to bring everything back to the family you know there'll be a morning report there'll be a afternoon report and there'll be a late night report so when then there's shift changes and then people are giving reports you will be getting report too on what happened in the past couple of hours and what's the what what we need to do so i had a whole entire note section of like what to do, like jotting it down. So we moved forward with that. And I remember um, 
I had to conceal my identity. Just considering the fact of what I went through with the other hospital, I always had a almost like a lawyer's mind of mm. you have to be careful and protect your license at all costs. So if they knew where I worked, what my identity was, and let's just say I'm giving them certain therapies or I'm pushing and adv- advocating is not easy. Like you have to push even though they're denying you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to keep asking. They're going to get annoyed. So imagine them knowing my background and where I work and everything. They I don't shut know. you down. Yeah, I don't know they if I would get re- retaliated or yeah. I would lose a job opportunity. So basically, I concealed my identity and I was like, oh, I'm a respiratory therapist and that's all you're going to know. So when I'm speaking yeah. to the, um, the uh, doctors and everyone, they're like, oh, who are you? The first question is, mm. who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm a healthcare worker, family friend. Mm. Here to help bridge the gap, to uh, help advocate. That's it. Oh, where do you work? Oh, you wouldn't know where I work. It's okay. Um, I would just like drift away from questions like that. Yeah. Has there ever come a time <laughs> where you were advocating for so many people at the same place? Yes. Three people. And and you were you kept saying, I'm just a family friend. Yeah. I would right. actually jump from one <laughs> then, call to yeah. the other. <laughs> So can you tell me what that looked like? Because you probably look crazy to them. Yeah. Like, who is this girl? And they're just like, your going... voice sounds familiar. I'm like, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> so I remember I was um, uh, advocating for one family. And I remember they were telling the family, like, oh, your dad is going to be in vegetative state. He has no hope. We can't move him on to the next stage. They were just denying us of, like, not even trying out certain therapies. They were just de- flat out denying us and I remember I was arguing and advocating and doing a patient conference with with them and then um uh the next family I was helping out was doing a FaceTime so I wasn't showing my face but they can hear my voice so they would show Mm. me like oh um so I would have to see in order to give suggestions and stuff they would have to show me like what ventilator life the life support machine what settings are we on what are the vital signs, which is like the heart rate, the pressures. Like I can't just be giving information out with no information at hand, mm-hmm. you know. Even though I spoke with the nurses and doctors, I just need to know what the patient is currently doing in order to mm-hmm. give effective suggestions. And I remember they're showing me and they're like, oh, your voice sounds familiar. I was just on <laughs> <laughs> the conference. And I'm over here like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Even though I knew that there's not much that they can do in the moment. I was like, I just had to protect myself in the moment. You just yeah. never know. And as I was doing that, um, I remember even a coworker of mine um, helped out and was super appreciative of the work at hand and um, was not doing the business with us, but just out of like humbleness to help patients out. He was helping out and he was taking a lot of the load. Like he learned the families to, if I wasn't able to be contacted, they were contacting him or you know what I mean and mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. there's a story of a patient he was helping out and it was during Ramadan time and um the patient was supposed to have a trach which is a permanent tube in his throat just right above your collarbone and basically it was because the patient was not getting off the ventilator because he was not responding to commands like when they did the neurological assessment of uh squeeze my hand um, curl your toes, stuff like that. He was not responsive to it. So they're thinking 
he's not able to get off his ventilator. It's been two weeks he's been on it. It's about time we have to transition him to the permanent one. So he came into the room and he talks to, he was saying he talked to him. He's like, Salam alaikum it's bil Ramadan, like, and kind of like incur- like telling him about what day Ramadan it is and kind of like having communication with the patient, even though he's fully sedated um, and intubated, you never know what they can hear on the other side, you know. So as he's doing that, he was just um, holding his hand um, and I guess the doctor saw him and he's like, oh, are you talking to him? Like, how are you talking to him? He's like, yeah, he's he's moving around like when I talked to him he's like no way like he wasn't moving for us and he's like are you sure he's like yeah and he goes okay I'll show you like watch like he's like squeeze my hand curl your toe like he said it in Somali though and he Mm. was doing everything wow and they were super shocked Mm. that they canceled the surgery for the trach because you imagine he's responsive now can you imagine they were gonna do this huge yeah like this procedure is a big deal why do you have to break skin yes okay why do you have to break skin when all you needed to bring was someone who could interpret for goodness sake well i like just the you know i'm just thinking about all the people Mm -hmm. who was deemed like not responsive or cooperative Mm -hmm. they had to go through a procedure yeah. To force it, that could have potentially, like, hurt them, even harmed them even more. Yes. When all you need to do was to save, it's it's the ihsan. There's no ihsan. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's no there's no due diligence. There's no like, yeah. Wallahi, I cannot believe this advocacy thing is not the biggest thing. Right. Like I, I'm mean. shocked there isn't like millions of them right. because yeah. the gap is so massive Mm -hmm. it's one thing to make mistakes but it's completely another when you're blatantly denying alternative treatments for patients this is exactly what happens when you challenge the status quo the system makes you an open enemy and you have to be ready for the fight and punches coming at you because these systems these hospitals they're coming at you with all they got they'll they'll label your family's difficult gaslight you, even conceal vital information and resources from you just so they can have it their way. The hospital that took the cake for the worst type of resistance was this one. Listen to this. Yasmin was contacted by a family about their father who went to the hospital to get tested, but then was told he could not leave because the situation was so dire that he needed to be intubated right then. Now, if you knew the statistics back then about the likelihood of survival after intubation, you would try every treatment to try to avoid it. But here they were intubating a relatively healthy patient, basically increasing his chance of death. And so, of course, the family went into complete panic. I mean, Yasmin herself was even shocked by the course of action the hospital was suggesting. So she called the hospital on behalf of the family and started suggesting a list of treatments they could explore before intubation. But then the hospital told her they didn't offer those services and those treatments. And so Yasmin, oh my God, being the girl that she is, decided not to take no for an answer. She was going to find a way to transfer this patient out of that hospital into another that could. She just had to get creative. You know, like, oh, the modalities you're asking for. 
we don't do them based on our protocol for COVID. I was like, okay, perfect. It's good to know that that's not what you do. Okay, so we'll have him transfer to a hospital that does do that. Period. Period. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. And they're shocked. They're like, really? And they're like, but we can't assist in that transfer. I was like, oh, don't worry. I'll call. <laughs> I'll call them. <laughs> I call them. They, were, they literally said, who the hell is this girl? I'm actually screaming. Okay. And then? <laughs> so we call and... um trying to see if there's beds available they're like yes there's bed available we're like we need to get this patient transferred out and into this hospital for your second opinions and do you guys do these modalities they're like yes okay perfect we need him either on the high floor or bypass if he doesn't tolerate understandably he can then we understand he can get intubated you know what i'm saying but without trying anything you can't just go straight to intubation you know so god that's how they kill us this is how they kill us (laughs) and if you don't don't know that information it's like what do you do what do you do like what do you what can you do they went from straight from um that to the most extreme case Mm -hmm. when oh my god this is so family doesn't even know that you can go transfer a patient oh you don't do that i'm gonna go to one that does that so it literally it was the most like, this story is, like, subhanAllah. Like, we went from that to they denied us the transfer, even though we went through the whole calling the hospital, doing everything. They're just like, oh, the hospital said they can't accept this patient unless he's intubated. Huh? The same and I'm patient? like, what? I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, yeah. They said, if he's going to transfer, we will have to intubate him and go. And I was like, and then I was like, okay, is the patient deteriorating? They're like, oh, they're not talking, this and that. I said, so I, t- I tell the son to call his dad. I said, can you call your dad and see how he's doing? Because we are not physically in there, you know? There, Yeah, you're not there, so you can't see. Yeah. You have to believe what these people are telling you, Eli. <laughs> and the okay? dad goes, Assalamu alaikum. And then he goes, I'm going to say, I'm going to translate it after, but he goes, what do you know? And then you're actually lying to me right now. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? And then they were trying to tell us that. No, wait, wait, explain to them in English. I want the audience, the listeners to know (laughs) the level, the audacity. The the son calls his father ring (laughs) ring. Okay. And the and this is a person, by the way, guys, that the doctor said is deteriorating. We know what Mm -hmm. deteriorating means. He shouldn't be speaking, he shouldn't be moving, he shouldn't know nothing from nothing. This is a body, okay? Yeah. He calls his father and his father says, What yes mean? Hang I picks up and says basically says, like almost like homie, what what, what's going on? Like why is this taking forever? (laughs) He said, Homie, what's going on? (laughs) He picked up, like, right now, if you were to call your healthy father, the way your healthy father would pick up, like, hey, what's up? <laughs> it's the way that his father picked up. I'm not allegedly yeah. is deteriorating. No, Please a- sink that in. It's crazy. Well, and then I remember I contacted the nurse, and the nurse I asked her just a couple of questions, like, hey, just want to know how much oxygen he's on and what he's doing for his uh, saturation. She's like, oh, he's doing okay. He's on, like, a couple of liters, and... um. Uh, we got him back from six to like four and he's down but um he just when he whenever he takes it off he goes back down on his saturations which is his oxygen levels so we just have to make sure he keeps it on and stuff and i was like okay he's doing fine otherwise she's like yeah i was like 
Okay. So, but no, 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 no. They're trying to sign our death certificate. <laughs> you know the one that, like, they're all, you know what I realized? They're already at time of death. That's where they're at. That's yeah. the, okay, this person is probably, you know, it. I'm disgusted. So I was shocked. And then, so they wouldn't allow us to leave. And he, the son was super scared. Like, if I don't do anything and my dad happens to be intubated and it's very hard to come off of once you're on that ventilator yeah he's like i have to do something and he's like i will just take him in the car and just grab one oxygen and just run to the other hospital if no one wants to do that oh my god we're fighting for our life and i'm just like okay oxygen you need a lot of oxygen where are we going to get the oxygen how and if anything happens i don't want that to be on his conscience essentially Mm -hmm. so i'm like we have to do this very smart but at the same time like what do we do and the hospital wouldn't allow us to transfer like they're not going to do the transfer at all so i was like okay perfect um so i was like what if he gets discharged as soon as he gets discharged we call 911 we stand outside and they got to get us an ambulance <laughs> yes mean you you got <laughs> And I was You're like, okay, I was lying. like, let me, before I exercise this thought, let me just call 911. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so creative. Okay? So then? So wait, 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 wait. So I called 911. I was like, hey, just a hypothetical question. Imagine someone calling 911 saying I have a hypothetical okay. question. Okay. I was like, if I leave a hospital and in front of the hospital doors, I need service and I call 911 to get the ambulance, would you guys put me back in that same hospital or can you guys transfer me to another hospital? They're like, we'll transfer you to whatever hospital you asked to. I was like, okay, perfect. Thank you so much. (laughs) 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 Okay. Oh my God. This is getting tense. Okay. We, we, we pause. We got another emergency. Okay. At the TDS headquarters. Now I done found out, right. That I had told you guys in part one that TDS is collaborating with ACC, a continuous charity to help people get an education, okay? Because we all remember what it was like being a student and trying to get that education, but they keep putting all these percentages and interest on top of it. Wasn't so nice. But unfortunately, we're not hitting our targets, y'all. And that kind of makes me really sad because ACC is supporting TDS, supporting our projects so we can keep doing this and... And the support isn't mutual? Come on, guys. Come on, guys. This is about supporting Muslims. It's about giving back. You know what I'm saying? And so you already know that's TDS's brand. That's what we support. And that's what we all collectively believe in. So if you're still interested in donating to a continuous charity that really is trying to fundraise for Muslim women to get the education they deserve without having to compromise their faith, this is that time, right? So if you go on our link tree, you'll see at the top, it literally says a continuous charity. Click that and help us get to the goal that we need to. Whether that's that $5,000 goal, $10,000 goal, 25K, I believe in us. I believe in you. So inshallah, if you can donate, donate. And know that whatever you donate, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will multiply it for you. Can't get any better than that. Anyways, emergency up, back to the story. 
we have green light. <laughs> so we're like, okay, we ha- we needed to have a game plan because Abed is on just a couple of liters of oxygen, so we cannot mess around because the oxygen belongs to the hospital. So once he's getting transferred, we have to make sure everything's ready, set, prepared for there to get a quick sw- uh, um, switch over. So ambulance comes. Hospital's super shocked at this point. Everybody's on standby. I'm on the call. I'm just like, I'm like, I just need to know the details 411. You know what I mean? So Abed is like guided on every step he's going to do. You're going to be taken off their oxygen. You're going to be assessed by the ambulance. You're going to be taken by the ambulance. You're going to just be um, transferred over. He's like, okay, like I'm ready to leave here. Like he was super anxious. He was ready to go. And then, so as the ambulance walked into the doors and start walking down the hallway, they meet the the team of healthcare workers, and they had to had a they took them into a private room by the by themselves, and had to have a meeting with them. And then they come out, and they're just like, "Oh, they're saying the 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 dad is unable to tolerate this type of transfer. We have to intubate him." basically giving them the same rundown of when they're refusing us to transfer earlier. So the family, one of the family friends called the fire department <laughs> head lead, which contacted the um, ambulance. And then they're just like, go and actually check on the patient. First thing you learn in healthcare is you don't believe the numbers. You look at your patient. They tell you, look at your patient. Your numbers might be down. You look at your patient, patient's talking. You know what I mean? So this, he said, first, go look at the patient and then come back to me. So then he goes and they look at, they go and they look at Ader, they go into the room and he's over here just chilling. He's ready to go, suited up. Like, let's go. He's super anxious. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what's, what's mm. taking you guys forever? He's, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's literally just chilling. Yeah. And this is a guy they're saying that cannot be transferred because yeah. he's deteriorating. Yeah. That's what, this is, we're talking about a guy that said there is deteriorating <laughs> and it's, it's dangerous to transfer. It's also the same guy saying, you guys are taking so long, bro. What <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get out of here. Like, <laughs> like I just—he's just over here. Like, I just came here to take a COVID test to see if I had COVID. Like, what's going on today? <laughs> you know. So, um, oh, so and then they go into um, they go and report back, and he's like, "If he's doing fine, he's on just a couple of liters of oxygen. Transfer him right now." And they had to do it. Yeah. And the hospital was livid. They were livid. And then other they brought a, a little wheelchair wheelchair for him to transfer him because he's so like deteriorated as they're saying right. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. like, "Get this wheelchair away from me!" He literally <laughs> was strutting in those hallways. <laughs> literally, he they said he walked into the ambulance by himself, just went into the ambulance like. I can't, you know what I'm laughing? You know what I'm thinking about? The optics of him coming out of his room, passing the nurses, walking. Look how dramatic that is. The guy they deem deteriorating and cannot be transferred is in his regular clothes that he came in with, walking past them. What God. kind of ridiculous and monstrosity is that? Please tell me. I w- Please I was tell me so about What were they intending shocked. to do? What were they intend? What were they intending to do? That's what I want to know. Literally. I, I, I was like... Did that look like someone that needed to be intubated right away, like emergently? Like, Ugh. come on. Like, they didn't even do an ABG, which was like an arterial blood gas to see 
what is his oxygen, what is his carbon dioxide levels in his body to even come to a notion of he needs to be immediately intubated. As soon as we um, left of it, it was like kind of liberating. I had a video sent to me of him leaving the ambulance, going into the hospital, and he was walking. <laughs> he said, leave me alone. And he was strutting. I saw the video because his son videotaped him from far away. And then um, of him just strutting into the hospital. And I had f- friends that were there, um, and I was like, yo, can you just go check on other for me, see how he's doing, make sure he's getting the right therapies. Um, had the patient advocate saying, hey, um, instead of like using all these modalities, you can flip the patient over and their oxygen mm-hmm. would soon enough recover. I'm like, put him on plasma, give him the, dr- uh, the clinical drugs, let him know of all the options he has. And alhamdulillah, I don't know if it, it took two weeks, he was off the oxygen, the, the small amount of oxygen he was on. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Although this was a huge win, I can't stop thinking about all the people who didn't have a Yasmin to fight for them like this. How many people did we lose in the last two years? In the last two centuries? I remember back in university, we had this reading that talked about racial inequity in the medical field. Something I remember reading was something called medical error. It was estimated to have killed over 300,000 people in the United States yearly. So that was so crazy. Even more crazy because we know that people of color are more likely to have poor care than white people. So how many of that 300,000 is us? And this is just the lives that were reported. How many more have gone unreported? How many lives did we lose that we don't know about? Yes, people are here to help you, but mistakes happen. Malpractices happen. You know what I mean? Mm. It's something that exists. So how would you know if you're just putting your ultimate full and all trust in the system, like as if it's this perfect system with no wrongs? You know what I mean? Like with this one story of a... um, We'll just keep her identity covered. So she was just going through, this is before COVID. She was going through like kidney. I was just a bystander taking a patient to a room. And I remember on, they were like, uh, we're going to transport this patient to go get CT um, room 18. And we're also going to transport room 19 to go get a CT too. Room 19 can get, a CT with a contrast. Contrast is they put it through your IV and it goes, your kidneys have to filter it out. So people who have already have kidney issues cannot go through the contrast. It's like you have to be extra cautious with it. So this specific family, um, room 18, could not do it. So I remember we were supposed to take room 19 first, but then they switched it up and said, let's take room 18 first, right? We take the um, patient, we take her to CT, got her ready. I'm just waiting in the back. Um, all of a sudden I hear, oh, is this not room 19? And then someone's like, no. <gasps> and then I'm like, you're lying. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm over here like, what's going on? There's no way I heard this correctly. And they're like, oh, this is not room 19. God. And they're like, oh my God, oh my God. I gave the <sighs> contrast. And I'm sitting there like, no way. And then they're just like, oh, my God, this only has happened to me twice. 
this is the second time <gasps> this has happened oh what are we gonna do and they're just like oh you know she already had like deteriorating kidneys i mean i don't know how much it could affect her but she already like kind of like reassuring <gasps> like oh, it's not your fault and i'm sitting there like i'm not understanding fully because mind you i'm just i'm specialized in the respiratory so it's like all this other stuff that they're talking about i'm like kind of understanding it but like fully like what is the gravity of this is i understand it later so once we get back to the room the next that night patients kidneys kidney function deteriorates and plummets and it went from that to um by the time I came back, it was like the patient had multi-organ failure. And it was like, oh, and then the family was like, la. why, how did it happen overnight? You, they were just doing well. La, and they did not understand until I bumped into somebody and they're just like, oh, we're having um, a family might have a funeral soon. I'm like, oh, who's that? Like kind <gasps> of curious, like, oh, and I have, I'm very clueless as to what's happening. And then they're like, so-and-so. And I'm like, huh? They're like, yeah, and they're in so-and-so hospital. I'm like, can you repeat the name back to me again? And then when they said it, like, I never had such back shiver almost, you know what I mean? Um, in a sense of, did that just happen? And then and then the, 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 the salt to the wound was they go and ask the family as they're trying to digest this overnight changes um, if they want to do organ transplant. Yes, mean. Oh my and it's god, like, that is insane. And then the family decided not to do an autopsy because they're just like at a stage of she passed away, so there's no point into finding out. We just want to just be have have them rest comfortably, comfortably in a sense, and not put so much pain and process through the family and the person, you know. So, and it's like malpractices do muslim. exist but in our muslim yeah. community community we do not do autopsies autopsy we don't do that and and yeah. now so just to be frank to be clear yeah this practitioner this nurse essentially accidentally killed someone potentially, potentially accidentally killed someone yeah and because muslims don't do autopsy yeah they will never know they will never know and you can't say anything because it's patient confidentiality yeah so you're sitting there and you just saw all of this. Yes, so all I knew what? is it got reported, but I don't know how far it went. But all I know is the family never found out. But we were told it got reported. Oh, my God. Only a patient had, report, the patient's family had no clue. And then uh, you're just like in a place where you're stuck in two worlds, in a sense, of like, yeah, it's like you're kind of protecting your license, but it's like, this family needs help. You're like, but then you're wondering, like, am I even doing them any justice or benefit by telling them this information? Like, they're it's going to make them grieve even more. Like, it's not going to bring the person back. But it's like, almost like you, you feel a sense of guilt. But you're like, but yeah. what can I do in a sense? So the best thing that we can do is to just allow people to understand that you need to advocate for yourself. You need to... You know what I mean? Question everything. You have to know you have to stand up for yourself. Like you can't just be giving your 100% trust into the system because this is not something new and this is not something just solely targeted to our community. Malpractices have been happening and do happen 
every day. You know what I'm saying? So you have to understand that you're not free from that at all. Yasmina Urji's work in advocating for patients quickly started to spread like wildfire. People even started contacting Yasmina's dad to ask her for help. Yasmina Urji were interpreters, advocates, they even visited patients on their days off, reading reports, and sometimes even take calls on their breaks to speak to doctors. Man, I can only imagine it was a lot. So it's like, imagine you're going to work, you're working 36 to 40 hours a week, night shift. On top of that, you have patients right as soon as you clock out. So you're doing talking to doctors, having patient conferences, talking to the families, gathering everybody together. It was just so mentally like draining and emotionally draining at the same time. And I was going through it myself too because I'm seeing all these people losing their family members and I'm scared that I might get my family and my parents COVID because um, Abba has diabetes and Hoya has diabetes, so they're just very high risk. And I'm over here like, okay, I can't go home. I like I'm bringing everything that I'm wearing back to home. I'm gonna get them COVID. So I literally had to live out of hotels. You lived out of hotels. I lived out of hotels and Airbnbs because I was super anxious of giving COVID to my family. You know, because it's just the thought of I brought COVID home, and then my family got sick, and then God forbid something happened to them. You're gonna like at the end of the day, kind of like semi-blame yourself for that. Like, why not like protect them a little bit more? So I had this overwhelming anxiety of like, I, I can't give my family COVID. I can't, even though I know they can get COVID otherwise, it was just like, like I have to reduce it for my end, you know? And um, the, the icing on the cake was this hospital that I never got reported at, the new hospital that as I'm dealing with all these issues, There's this there's this patient one day that was um, like deteriorating. I remember, and he was supposed to get intubated, and I was super sad he was getting intubated because he was doing well, but somehow like he got infection and his lungs took a hit, and he was deteriorating, so he had to get intubated. And intubation is just a hard process for the patients to scope that you have to prep their mind because if they go into it in a chaotic environment, people screaming, saying, give me this, give me that, I need to intubate, P- push the meds, like you're hearing all of this as a patient and then all of a sudden you're knocked out and then a week in to finally being wake- woken up, it's like you just hear voices, it's like you're in a dark room almost, you have to paint yourself in the patient's shoes. Oh so so scary to think about. Well, that's even, scary. So you have to reassure them the, when they're getting intubated. Yeah. So I remember I go over to him and I said, hey, I know this is a hard process for you, but people are going to start pack, getting packed into this room and they're going to slowly guide you in like the medications they're going to use, how they're going to intubate you. They're going to put this tube in you and it's going to help you breathe a little bit easier. And I was like, just understand that you're going to feel alone and you're going to hear a lot of noises. But um, I need you to understand what's happening because once we need him to come off the ventilator, they start to become super anxious because it's almost like PTSD, what you put, just put them through. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like getting them off the machine. They're anxious. They're fighting the machine. They're, you know what I mean, not cooperating as, it, as they say. And it's all about the person's mental health that was not taken care of 
as they're going into this procedure, you know? So I reassured him. I'm like, hey, like I've gotten COVID twice, you know what I mean? And um, you never know what you're your um, future holds don't think that you have no chance like I'm standing in front of you and I survived COVID twice you know what I mean so let that just be just a guidance for you to just believe in yourself and believe that you can surpass this you know and I said um I don't know what religious preferences you have but whatever feels comfortable for you like go and seek solace or like pray for yourself you know so when it comes to my patients, I'm very like extra sensitive. They tell me I'm like super overprotective. But so I left, he got intubated and I had no idea what happened afterwards until this situation occurred. A nurse called me. She's like, oh, this patient needs to have their, the balloon I was talking to you guys about, about the trach deflated so I can give him his medications. And I was like, the balloon is there to prevent aspiration, which is swallowing, like, because their um, gag reflex and their swallowing capacity is very limited. So the balloon is there to capture anything that falls just in case they aspirate, you know? So it doesn't go into their lungs. I was like, if you're going to give medication, like, I don't know, like, I don't necessarily give medications, but I would assume, like, you won't deflate the cuff, right? But I was like, hey, let me just check to see if that's our protocol. So I asked the other RTs, and I was like, hey, you guys have been here a little while longer than me. What are you guys doing? They're like, don't deflate the cuff. Like, why would you deflate? Like, they, they were looking at me like, why would you do something like that? I was like, I'm sorry. I'm just, I was asked. I like to reassure. I just don't like to just go with whatever my mind told me. I just want to make sure the protocols, you know. And then they was just like, no. And then I was like, okay, this is what she's asking me to do. And they're like, um, just let her know. And then I let her know, and she was like, no, you have to come upstairs right now. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'll come up there, and I can let you know what's going on. And then I looked at my coworkers. I was like, are you guys free right now? And they're like, yeah. I was like, just come with me. I just need, like, when once I, I need backup. <laughs> I need witnesses. Because yeah. Yeah. I yeah. knew something you, was going down. Your lawyer mind went on. You went off. You went off. You said, uh, some, some, some I've been trained down. for this <laughs> kind yeah. of issues. Yeah. So, um, Yasmin being Yasmin Twitter figures and all, yeah. I had to <laughs> make sure I was covered. So I was yeah. like, you know what? Let's go. And then we all went and immediately she was like super disrespectful to me. Like I came in and she was like, um, listen, I don't know why you're late. I was like, late? I was like, you know, you just called me and all we did was got out of the department, walked all the way over here. Like it takes a while to come here. And I came, I said, that was within three to four minutes. And she goes, well, that was late. I was like, I knew she was already fired up. I was like, she's just choosing to pick a fight right now. And she goes, and you're telling me that we can't do this. And it just sounds like you don't know the protocol and what to do. You need to go in there and do it. I'm telling you to do it. I said, I have two coworkers oh here. They said it's not the protocol. I don't know what you want me to do. But I said, if we do do it, just know that it's not going to be under us. Like, I'm going to put a note in that I refused and you, ca like, commanded me to do this. You know what I mean? Just be aware, you know? And she basically, as I'm, like, talking to her, walks away from me, you know? And I knew she was being super disrespectful, like, just to get under my skin, to get a reaction out of me. And I was not allowing it. I was like, let me just stay patient. I go in and I reassure to the patient. I say, hey, this is not something we do. 
but your nurse insisted on it, so we will do it. We'll keep an eye on you, and I'll stand by. I'll be on standby, but I just have to make sure your head of the bed is up. And then this patient, mind you, is a quadriplegic, meaning he's fully paralyzed neck down. So he's guiding me on what to do, how to change his vent settings, and we're doing everything. He goes, okay, do this. Like, he points at every step because he's very strategic on what he does, I guess. He's like, if you're going to deflate the cuff, you have to do this and do that. I was like, okay. She looks at the patient. She goes, you need to hurry up because I thought she was talking to me at first. And I was like, I was confused. And then she's looking at the patient like, we can't just do everything you want precisely. This is not the time. We're on time crunch. You need to hurry up and just choose. And I was like, whoa, like, why is she talking? And then in that moment, I'm like, okay, she's not just picking a fight with me. This is more of a personality trait. Mm Because if you're picking a fight with a patient that's sick, paralyzed, like, there's bigger issues that's going on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I kind of reassure the patient, like, hey, like, I try to go faster on my end. I was like, just guide me a little bit quicker. I'll do everything you need. Right? And then he's like, oh, thank you. And then I, like, everything went well. And then I reassured him. I was like, hey, I apologize for all the confusion. You know, this is not something we do in our hospital. So um, do apologize for any like back and forth, everything, just to reassure him, assure him. And then he's like, no, it's okay. He's smiling and stuff like that. He's just like, uh, he kept saying like mouthing, like it's okay. And then I was like, okay, made sure that everything was okay. And then um, I left the room. I knew something was coming after I left that room. Like, my gut was just telling me she's going to report you. <laughs> and then what I thought she's going to report and what she reported, you, you, you'll you just be shocked at this. So I left that, left that day. Two days later, like, I'm team lead for my department. We're short-staffed. I'm getting people to work extra hours, pick up, like, that stayed 12 hours. I'm like, hey, can you stay extra four hours just to help us out? And they're like, okay, if you're team lead, I'm staying. Like, everybody's like, if yes, it means here, we're good. Because they're just like, you're not going to finesse our assignments. Like, you'll make sure everything's fair. Like, if you're here, like, we'll, we just have a fun time. We just vibe and we all get our work done. I'm like, bet. So, alhamdulillah. So, I recruited some people. I was like, alhamdulillah, I texted the manager. I'm like, we're good. And then, so the next day... The manager comes and I record more people again. We're still short staffed because this is COVID. Everybody's burnt out. Everybody's leaving. You know what I mean? My manager's like, hey, Yasmin, I need to talk to you about something. I was like, oh, okay. I knew something in my gut was telling me this old lady. And this time around, I didn't do my regular reporting styles, you know, because I'm, I knew something was coming, but I wasn't for sure. And nothing ever happened here. So I had my cards down. So, um, he took me in and then he was like, we had a, um, a patient, um, almost like a patient, not a patient neglect, but a patient abuse reported against you. I said, what? He's patient like, patient abuse? I said, I know what you're talking about. And he goes, uh, I said, is this day, this patient, this nurse? And he goes, okay. And I said, before you tell me the story, can I tell you what happened that day? So, you know, my side of the story, so you don't think I'm like, like making excuses for myself. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, okay, I'll give you the platform. I said, I don't want to know anything that they said or reported about me. Let me give you my um, one, two cents. I told him and I was like, I, I told him about how she was super like um, feisty with me and then the patient. And I was like, okay, like it was more of a 
like I was understanding it was a personality issue, not her just picking a fight with me, you know? And then he's like, he's like, can I stop you there? And I was like, why? And he goes, it's interesting you said that. I was like, why? She goes, she reported that you yelled, screamed, and harassed the patient. <gasps> I said, what? I did what? What? And he was like, yeah. He was like, you made the patient feel uncomfortable. You yelled at him. What? Told him to hurt. So everything that she did, disrespectful to the patient, she labeled it she as me. She said you did. She said you did it. Yeah. And I was like so shocked. Oh. And I was like, so what did you say to them? Like, I asked him. He goes, what do you mean? I was like, you've known me for about, we're almost like two years down. Like we're a year and a half in, like you've known me. Like I barely, yeah. he's like, yeah, you barely can speak. Uh, like your voice is very soft. You can barely yell. <laughs> and then he's like, there's no way he asked me yelled. And I was like, but did you tell them that? He goes, no, I told them. So she took this higher up to management. Excuse me? Abuse. Yeah, so, and basically was, like, um, basically coming for my license and me. And they basically, without even hearing my side of the story, he was, like, he was telling me they requested you do learning hours, like, learning modules, like, on how to treat a patient. You. Yeah. <laughs> and imagine, I'm, like, going through a lot. I'm going through the patient's. I'm going through the patient's families. I'm going through braces. I'm going through a lot. And it's like, on top of it, I'm scared for my family, giving them COVID. George Floyd is happening. It was just like that extra, you know, when you're just down and someone just kicks you, that extra kick. And I just started bawling. Oh, my God. Yes, me. I'm so sorry. I was like, why would you think? I said, before you before this hospital, before the management, before anybody, before my license, I said, I serve God. You know what I mean? I serve God and I, and I was like, me doing that, I would go to hell. I would go to hell for that. I said, do you think I'm scared of you? Why would I do that? God is watching me. I said, I don't know what, like what I believe in is, I'm held accountable in the justice of Ilahi. In that, you know what I mean? I'm in the justice system of Ilahi. Why would I do something like that? And I was like, based on my character, did you ever even see me getting into it with help of one of your workers? You know what I mean? And then it was like, he's like, no, but you know, I would just say, don't be confrontational. Like when we're getting get into the meeting, just state everything without emotion. I was like, how do you want me to react with no emotion? You're honestly telling me I abused a patient and I was disrespectful. I, I have to take classes now. Like what is going on? You know, and and then I was just super frustrated. And I was like, I was like, on top of all of this, you're telling me I'm neglecting abusing patients. I have patients outside of this hospital. I don't get paid that I'm helping because your systems are not helping the patients. You know what I mean? And I'm having to do extra like extra work on top of what I'm doing. And you mean to tell me that I'm the one that would be abusing patients? And then he was just like, I'm sorry, this is happening. And I was just like, I was like crying because everything is just hitting me, you know, because I was like bottling everything up. And then I remember that day and I was like, he didn't even thank me. 
for helping his department and getting recruiting people for him. He could have been short-staffed. That could have been uh, a patient neglect issue on their behalf because they're not fully staffed, you know what I mean, very well. I'm over here doing extra work for your department. I'm not getting paid a dime extra during this whole COVID situation. We're not getting paid more. We're going through all of this. I got COVID twice, you know what I mean? You're even telling me to come back to work while I'm, I'm having COVID because they're so short-staffed. They're telling you to come back to work. Are you that they, they, they're like, assess yourself. Are you even that sick? Like, come back to work. Like, that's how short-staffed they are. So I'm like, this hospital system does not care for us. This does not care for us. And I remember I was going down the hallway. I knew this um, nurse coordinator um, for a night shift, and I let her know what happened. And she was like, Yasmin, like, she was like, I was looking for you. I said, why? And she goes, I was looking for you to get your manager's number and email because I want to send him an email because you just helped a patient that was one of my family. Um, it was like her uh, in-laws that I helped. She was like, you helped him. And he was telling me to go find you because you're the reason why after he got extubated, he did so well. He was looking for you. It was the patient that I was reassuring to to just have hope. He And she was like, you told him something that stuck with him is that you got COVID twice and you survived. And that's what like pushed him forward. And she was like, and it's crazy that they're pinning you out to be this, like almost like this monster that would like do injustices on patients when you're doing the absolute extra to make sure they're okay mentally. And she's like, I'm over here looking for your manager to give your accolades and they're reporting you for this. And she's like, I already know that nurse. She was like, she's been reported many times. She creates problems. She literally bullies everybody. And I was like, I don't know her as well. Like, this is my first encounter with her. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to take you to the nurse manager um, and I'll help advocate for you. And I go to the nurse manager. I'm standing by the door. I'm trying to advocate for myself, but I'm holding back my tears. And I'm just like exhausted. I'm like exhausted at this point because I'm just like, is this what I signed up to be? Like, is this what healthcare is? You know what I mean? Like, this is not healthy. This is not okay. I, I don't like seeing all these families going through this. I don't want to go through this myself. I'm at a point where I just want to drop all of healthcare. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm talking to the nurse manager and she's like, honey, let me stop you there. She's like, with the tone that you're talking in, she's like, I know you're not even capable of yelling. She's like, I don't even know you, and this is my first time seeing you. She's like, by the your demeanor and the way that you talk, she's like, if I was your manager, I would have debunked this. And I don't even know you. He knows you. He shouldn't have brought wow. this up to you. Yeah. He should have defended you. Yeah, she was like, basically you. advocated and defended you. And I was like, that's true. And then, um, and, and she was like, don't worry. I will write a, uh, uh, I would advocate for you. And the other lady's like, yes, this is what she did for my family member. Like, this is the type of human being she is. That's not what they're painting her out to be. And, um, 
I was just going through my own troubles at that time too. Like everything, like from every corner of my life was just hitting me at that point. And then I remember I just booked a flight and I left. Yasmin was done. There was nothing she could do from the inside. That if she wanted to make a real difference, she had to make some real changes. And so Yasmin finally takes the leap to become a travel respiratory therapist. Now, if you know anything about being a travel RT, you'd know they make a lot of money, a lot more money than being stationed at a hospital. This was a strategic game plan for them too. It gave Urji and Yasmin the opportunity to not only potentially find a better place to work at, but more importantly, the financial ability to fund their patient advocacy objectives so they can make some real changes in the space. And by the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, while it wasn't common for two friends to end up at the same hospital as travel RTs, Urji Yasmin not only ended up at the same hospital with the same work schedules, but y'all get a hold of this. They ended up at the most prestigious hospital in the world, Harvard Medical Center. Well, I must all have the services they're applying there. I'm like, I wish we had this in Minnesota. Like, it was like we almost had the same values and treatment methods, but they even went up a notch. Like, the, the amount of stuff that they were doing, I was like shocked. Mm. They were doing research upon research and taking initiatives. You know what I mean? Like, taking. Like it was amazing to see like the amount of knowledge there and the and like I was shocked like I was like you guys do this and then oh my god this is so smart like, <laughs> oh, like I was like so intrigued and everybody minded their own business like they did their cares they let you do your your thing and like nobody's bothering you and I was like I was like almost on guard like when is it coming like <laughs> yeah the trauma yeah. the trauma the trauma you you're like is it gonna come from here this sounds too good to be true right and as we're there like alhamdulillah like they they're super cautious of us to the point where they're like since you guys walk to work we have to put you guys both in the same shift because it's dangerous to be walking outside in that area by yourself oh wow yeah what literally so they're like you guys have to so that we had the exact same shifts together which is amazing because First you have of all, a buddy they're system. very considerate. Yeah, right. They're very considerate. They're thinking about your well-being. Yeah, it was an amazing. Which is, I'm sure, it was the yeah. first time you ever felt. <laughs> you care about me and yeah. just like like, like our well-being. <laughs> like I can't imagine what that that felt like. It was you know, amazing after everything. I was like, wow. They would have food every day because of how COVID is, and they're trying to take care of burnout. They would have like the Apple chargers. I came to work one day and it was like a whole pack of Apple chargers laying around. They're like, do you need a charger? And I'm like. Who got these charges? And they're like, oh, the department just bought it for us just, you know, because of COVID. And I'm like, you guys get high level Khalija care. Like, you guys get high level care. <laughs> chargers. We didn't even get a dime added to our checks. Subhanallah. If one thing remains true, it's that we plan and sometimes others plan against us. But Allah plans too. The only difference is his plans always prevail. So funny story. While Yasmin and Urji were joking around in the surgical unit, they saw how they had disposable scrubs for pretty much everything. They even had one for a beard. 
without realizing Yasmin starts playing around with the beard scrub and starts making a hijab out of it. Yasmin found it so funny and she was so impressed with herself. She started taking pictures and posting it on social media like, look, everybody, I made a disposable hijab. And then Uri looks at her and says, Yasmin, Yasmin, delete it. Delete it, Yasmin. I think we might have found our first business. Uri saw the vision and she was like, it literally like clicked to her like a light bulb, you know? Yeah. And then she was sitting down with me and she was like, She's like, remember that time during COVID, like I told you, um, so her cousin, which is our current um, designer, um, uh, Ramadan Designs, um, so she, they grew up together. And during like the whole um, COVID and prior to COVID, we were always complaining like our hijabs, like when we're doing um, compressions and stuff, it would flap over onto the patient. Like, oh, and then it's like you're doing yeah. compressions and then your hijab is everywhere and then the patient has blood. And it's just like, it's like you better have an extra one as a backup. I remember she told um, uh, her um, cousin, like, hey, can you just make us like very suitable, very easy, not too long, like hijabs for us. You know what I mean? That's like very hij- like healthcare friendly. And then she was like, oh, I don't know what you guys like. Like, I'm a designer, but I'm not in the healthcare field. Like. Like, I don't know how to join yeah. those two worlds together. And she's like, just design something for us. Like, there's so many things we need. Oh, the operating room, we need skirts. They don't allow you to, like, they they want you everything sterilized. So they give you pants and a top. So now you and Urji have decided you guys are going to make... Yes, uh, disposable hijabs. Disposable hijabs. Disposable hijabs. Yes. Um, for women in uh, women who wear hijab in, in the medical Yes. So field. she was like, we can contact my cousin because I told her earlier to do this with for us um, prior. But um, I guess she said that they she contacted the hospitals. Actually, I wanted to do it, but got turned down. So she kind of she's a busy person. Like she does like um, fashion week for Minnesota. Like she's doing all the designs. Oh, mashallah. She is not that known. And I wish she was so known because the amazing work that she does behind the scenes I'm like, can mm-hmm. you just come to the front? <laughs> For forefront, subhanAllah. Yes. I mean, that's the thing, right? There's so many Muslim women doing incredible things. Yes. And that's the point of TDS. We're here to spotlight everyone that's doing the groundwork to make a difference for all of us. Because there is, there's people happening, people are happening doing real time and people like you and Urji and everyone else that like fought to do this, to advocate, to advocate for yourselves, to not take no and like, look at who you guys are. You guys went through everything just to land at the business project. I know, right? <laughs> of your essential of your dreams that represents everything that you guys are and everything that you experienced. What a way, subhanAllah. Like when I look at the train of the story that Allah SWT has put you guys on, it's like everything kind of makes sense. You know, because like if 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 Allah were to make this successful, right? This project, this these these hijabs. You guys have an incredible story. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Thank to get you. to this point, it was it was almost made by design. Allah designed that this would be your avenue and this is your story. And I'm just I'm so proud of you, Yasmin. I don't even Thank know what to you. say. I you are a modern day hero, babe. Um, <laughs> a modern day you don't get me hero. And you know what they <laughs> always say that heroes don't don't real heroes don't wear capes. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes heroes wear scrubs. Sometimes they are, um, they're in just in any, any space. Sometimes they're teachers. Sometimes they are parents. Sometimes it's just a hero is someone who 
not only fights for themselves, but fights for the well-being of others. You know what I'm saying? That is a hero. And like, I, I know you're cringing at the whole hero. I know. You see me anybody, right now, right? There's a lot of us. Yeah, you're cringing. <laughs> but the thing is, yeah. I have to say this. A lot of us stopped believing in them. I'm be real. Like, sometimes the word hero is left to Marvel and television. But they are very much exist. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards those who just are at the cause of other people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves that. Mm. Those who are at, at the cause and help of others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says those, those people who love each other for Allah's sake, one, who take up each other's cause, two, those who, like, you know, fulfill the rights. Mm-hmm. Fulfill the rights, right? Yeah. And they do ihsan. Allah has nothing else but planned but Jannatul for them. You know, and it's just, those to me is what other people might define as heroes. These, these are people who, who, what they do in this dunya transcends even in the akhirah. Like these people are not just dunya. They're really just on a bigger and better, you know, trajectory. And I just want to say yes, mean to you and Urji and everyone. Yes. I know it was like 12 or 15 know, people right? that quit. And I'm sure they all have similar stories. I mean, yes. You know, and I'm sure even today they're all still advocating and fighting and pushing the envelope and not taking no for an answer. Wallahi is greater in the akhirah. And I'm, I look for, I hope I, I make it there and I hope I see it. You know, um, all of the effort. And you know what's beautiful about this is you guys did this as shababs. You guys did this as young people, you know? And, and it really tells you that young people are are so important and they need to be taken care of because they're, they are trying their best. That's true. To make a difference. Yes. And they're trying their best to make way. And I just want to say publicly, and I know the listeners are probably like really are so inspired by your resilience and I'm so excited to see um, when your hijabs come out oh my God. and they get into st- and, and and hospitals buy them and and we see you know women in hijab wearing them. It's I we can all remember how that started. You know, yes, like we can all remember true. how we got to that point. Yeah, it it came from a point of women in hijab who wanted to make a difference and help people genuinely for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Firstly, yes. is why those why these, why these hijab these biodegrades were created was for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and it's beautiful. These things can be in spaces like hospitals, and people can wear them. You know what I mean? Like so it's a beautiful so homage, homage of that. And I just I love how faith drove you guys, and I love it's faith that made you guys extraordinary in your pursuit beautiful yes may Allah SWT make you successful Yasmin I mean inshallah may Allah SWT make you guys successful in this pursuit and may Allah SWT ultimately accept it from you guys I mean I mean I mean accept that from you guys I, I I always ask and this is beautiful I guess the end of the episode because I've been asking and the season guys this is our last episode, you know? This is our last episode, last story, actually. Not episode. There's another episode coming out next week, but it's different. But this is the last story we're telling in season two. And to wrap it up, and of course I have to ask this question because I'm trying to ask as many guests these questions, but what name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's 99 names resonates with you most and why? Um, It will be Al-Nasir. Um, meaning he is the helper and the protector. Because you have to just understand um, with tawakal through ilahi, we just have to learn how to let go sometimes that we don't know what's best for us. Ilahi knows way better for us. 
and the type of path that we should go through. If I were to draw my path today, I would say I would do this and this and this and think that it would guarantee me the results that I want. But no, um, you would learn through trials and tribulations. It is still there to be helpful, still there protecting you. But having you learn the lessons that you need to learn to gain the wisdom that you need to gain um, in order to fulfill the blessings that you're seeking out to. So my biggest thing and biggest um, kind of like feedback for healthcare workers especially is I know what you're going through and I know how tough it is. Um, but just understand that there's a bigger picture to this. We might not understand it as human beings because our mind is very limited. So we not we don't understand the scope of it until it comes full circle and you're just like, so that's, that's, I understand the journey now. You know what I mean? My biggest um, takeaway from all of this is to help every Muslim woman, especially um, young women that are coming into healthcare, understand that your presence is valued, you are worthy, and that um, your voice matters. And we might have just seen one area to fix and how to fix one area. But you might see a completely different area. Don't shun your dreams out. And we need everybody to step out and make changes. And we need to all sit at the table. Yasmin's story is not to scare you from trusting healthcare professionals or meant to stop you from applying for jobs in the healthcare sector. Rather, we're sharing the story to merely remind you how important healthcare advocates are and to never back down from holding systems accountable no matter how scary or difficult it may be. Speak up. And to remember that all we got is community. All we got is each other. And don't take that for granted. We are better and stronger together, unified. There are very few moments in life where you can look at everything you went through, the pain, the sorrow, and then realize in hindsight that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of planners. Nobody ever forgets the du'a they made at their most desperate time of need especially when it got accepted. And man, where Yasmin's dua is an example of that. Not only did Allah accept it, but he wrote for her a path that would not only open more doors for her, but for many, many women after her. It'll cement forever, permanently, as proof in history that Muslim women have and will always be the drivers of true change. So thank you to Yasmin and Urji and all the frontline healthcare workers out there for everything they've done in the last horrific years and for everything they're doing today to ensure our families and loved ones arrive home safely. Thank you. And for all the families and friends that lost their loved ones to COVID or malpractice or just felt like the system failed them, know that Allah will not. He knows your pain, your suffering, and all that has occurred. Everything is accounted for. Just await for Allah's reckoning. He will not let you down. And until then, as Allah says in the Quran, Fasbir sabaran jimina. Endure patiently with beautiful patience. Assalamu alaikum. This is your sister Urji, co founder of Mawadda. Through my journey with Mawadda, a quote that helped me dream even bigger and believe I can accomplish anything is a quote that Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif Rahimahullah said in visionary class. Don't put your limitation on Allah. Let me say that again. Don't put your limitation on Allah. 
And that was the wake up call I needed because I never looked at it that way. I realized I was projecting my narrow mindset to Allah because it seemed impossible to get to my ultimate goal. Especially as Muslim black immigrant woman with big dreams, I felt it is hard to see how you can get to the end of the mission when the system is not set for us. However, that's of course my human limitation again. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can make anything possible. All we have to do is tie our camel and leave the rest to him. So now and then, when I feel like what I'm working on seems unobtainable, I remind myself, Urji, don't put your limitation on Allah. And that helped me continue working on accomplishing my dream. So I want to end it with, anything is possible when Allah is on your side. So continue chasing your dream. Do your best and leave the rest to Allah, as He is the most knowledgeable, the most high. This episode is brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios. I'd love to give a shout out to our producer, Munashir Omar. Thank you for this incredible episode. Special thanks to our assistant producers, Khoya and Nima Haroon, our graphic designer, Sima, aka Wasima Farah, our project manager, Yasmin Mahmoud, and our marketing extraordinaire, Sosan Abdullahi. If this podcast gave you any value, we're leaving it up to you. Donate however much you feel like it gave to you. We have a big team this year that have put so many hours in bringing the show to life. If you can't give right now, not a problem. Keep us in your du'as. And before I go, I want to hear your thoughts, your reflections of season two, what you've learned, what you've liked. And since, you know, TDS was a hot topic last week, <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts um, and your suggestions and your your reflections, just what you learned. I want to hear it. I want it to be a two-way conversation. You already know it's TDS tradition to have you, the listeners, on our episode two. So please go ahead and send us a max two-minute voice note of your name, the city you're from, um, and your reflection, your thoughts, or even questions for us. You might have a question for us, and we'd be more than happy to answer any question you have for us. Anyways, you guys, um, that's our last story. Ugh, so sad. So sad. I'm so sad until season three, subhanAllah. That's our last story. But we do have a wrap-up where the team comes together and we do a last hurrah. So send in your voice notes. Please send them in. Please, please, please. Jazakallah khair. You can, you can email it to us at contact at digitalsterhoodmedia.com. That's contact at digitalsterhoodmedia.com. Uh, you can also find our information on our Instagram, inshallah. But yeah, see you guys hopefully next week in your ears, in your speakers, telling you a good story.